is Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, the 12th, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, March 2021. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. And I'm Bruce McQuain. And it's been a... uh, it's been an interesting day for a couple of reasons, primarily because uh, in the last couple of days in New York State, Jerry Nadler, Chuck Schumer, um, AOC, uh, and who else was it that called for... Um, Kirsten Gillibrand. Oh, Kirsten Gillibrand calling for Andrew Cuomo to resign the governorship of New York. A seventh woman came out uh, yesterday... <laughs> Uh, saying that she had been inappropriately touched by the governor, and uh, the um, uh, the the New York State Legislature has now opened up an impeachment inquiry into Governor Cuomo. So, well, that's all very interesting stuff happening. And of course, at some point, uh, Governor Cuomo would have to address it. Today, he did. <laughs> By saying he wasn't going to let, he wasn't going to give in to this cancel culture. Right. You know, I, which um, is, is diametrically opposed to what he said uh, when uh, Brett Kavanaugh was facing uh, Christine Blasey Ford. Cuomo said uh, of, of her, his accuser, only a political skeptic could find a reason to disbelieve her. What is her possible motive to lie? <laughs> and and <laughs> and when was that? That was 2018. And, that was then. This is now. This is now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I just wonder if he's circling the, gra- the drain in a clockwise motion or a counterclockwise. It, it, it's but our boy is definitely circling the drain. Yeah, it's it's difficult to see how he holds on to the job with this many women coming out. Apparently in Manhattan, they have kicked off a, um, an actual criminal investigation of the man. Yep. So, you know, I'm not saying that where there is smoke, there is fire because as we all know, <laughs> that isn't necessarily true. I am just observing the level of smokiness continues to increase. And by the way, I'm fine with him uh, staying in office until they complete the investigation. I don't think it'll take too long. But uh, it certainly has overshadowed all the people that died in a nursing home because of his policies, hasn't it? Yeah, we're not even talking about the 15,000 dead seniors. Yeah, they just don't count. It's these seven women. Well, look, I, I can only assume that he is following the Ralph Northam strategy. Right. I'm just going to I'm just going to pretend like you uh, you can't get me out of office and I'm going to just stay here and you guys can go, you know, pack sand. That's exactly what he's doing. This is all politically motivated. I question the timing. I've never had a improper sexual relation. The only thing we're missing and primarily because a he's divorced and then um, he got rid of his longtime girlfriend last year. Um, the only thing we're missing is having him drag his wife out in front of the cameras to uh, <laughs> emote appropriate. The, the, the most uncomfortable person in the room, yeah. She stands there with a sick <laughs> smile on her face, yeah. Seen that before, haven't we? Yeah, although I have to say in Ralph Northam's case, because another woman wasn't involved, 
Uh, it wasn't as awkward for her to be there. And hey, look, thank goodness she was because she stopped the dumb son of a bitch from moonwalking in the press oh, conference. Oh, God. Yeah, he is. Uh, well, anyway, the guy's a doctor or was a doctor, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Wow. Can you imagine going to him? <laughs> but anyway, he's um, he's brazening it out so far. I think the thing that really irks me is this conflation of seven women coming forward and saying he sexually harassed me, a criminal investigation, and then an impeachment proceeding starting for him to jump out and say, well, you know, this is all cancel culture. <laughs> this is all cancel culture, yeah. It's funny how that works, yeah. isn't it? You know, just because I shot a guy doesn't mean I'm going to let cancel culture railroad me into jail. God, I'll tell you. It's, uh, mm. yeah, and, and I guess there was a New York legislator who said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything about the old gov until a fourth woman comes forward. Well, I guess that person has finally decided that maybe the gov has a problem. Yeah. After seven, I think, you know, at least it needs to be looked into. Now, yep. And it can't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Um, New Yorker today published a story. Um, <laughs> the New Yorker. The cruelty and the casualties inside Andrew Cuomo's toxic workplace. And they had a series of tweets. Andrew Cuomo's governorship has been defined by cruel behavior that's disguised chronic mismanagement. Why was that celebrated for so long? Oh, huh. no. Um, I don't know. Perhaps that's a question that should be addressed to your colleagues in what you are pleased to call journalism. <laughs> right. The water carriers for years covered this guy up couldn't say enough nice, sweet, wonderful things about him, how great he was, how he was going to be the next president, how he well he handled the COVID, COVID pandemic. I mean, God, you, you know, butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. Uh, they were uh, they were all over this guy, just smothering him in love. And now nothing like a journalist who is... Yeah, shown now, to be an ass. Yeah, now all of a sudden, journalists are shocked. Shocked to learn that Andrew Cuomo may not be a nice fella. Well, not only is he a nice fellow, he's an apt. I mean, look how he handled COVID now that it's out in the open. Even his book publisher backed off and said, yeah, maybe we're not going to publish the book now. I wonder, I wonder if the Emmys are going to take back their Emmy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A year ago, this guy was being lionized, and he was being lionized because he was a useful cudgel with which to uh, thump Donald Trump. Correct. Now, and that's, that was his only use, and, and most of what they told about him was made up anyway. And so now he comes out, and this is what I really love. The son of a former New York governor, a former uh, attorney general, which is an elected position, and now Governor had the temerity earlier this week to say, well, you know, I'm not I'm an one outsider. Of, I'm, an outsider. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not one of these politicians. <laughs> you just, you know, this, you know, it is so funny to watch when these politicians get desperate. It is just hilarious. So we, he's an outsider who's not going to give in to the cancel culture. Uh, it's just funny stuff. Andrew Cuomo, the ultimate outsider in New York politics. 
Exactly. I mean, this guy, Bridge, a bridge is named after his dad. You know, <laughs> he's lived <laughs> politics his whole life. Yeah, but he's not going to knuckle under to these career politicians in Albany. <laughs> or Washington. <laughs> or Washington. That's right. So, well, whenever New York, Ma- it wasn't the New Yorker, by the way, it was New York Magazine. Um, uh, un- easily understandable mistake. Um when they're going after you, then you know that the gloves are off. Everybody's. Oh decided. yeah, it's over. Yeah. It's over then because they are pylon people. You know they don't they don't break anything. They just pile on whatever's popular for the day. Yeah. So you know now that is a signal. This story, by the way, is a signal that it's okay to abandon Cuomo now. Oh yeah, exactly right. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, there've been a lot of those signals here lately, and he's just not going to go. This story should have been written a year ago, at least. More than a year ago. At least. Um, But now it's safe to write it. So whenever you see stories like this, it's always easy to assume that that they are assuming from their part that he is not going to be a power anymore and therefore does not have to be kowtowed to any longer. Yeah, and that's when, yeah, once you lose that that fear factor, uh, when, when you're someone like Andrew Cuomo, it's over. Uh, you can't do any more. You can't do, you can't intimidate or do harm to anybody at that point because no one's going to let you. They're going to, if you do, they're, they're going to do like Mr. Kim did there and then, uh, uh, you know, turn it all out in public. I mean, you, you're done and it's time to give it up. And on the other side of that too, um, you try to get anything done, people are just going to stand up to you because they know it's safe to do so. Yeah. So, so, he's, he, he, so his worth as a politician is nil. So it sounds to me like people are taking bets that he's going to be gone before too long. So we yeah, are. I would hope so. We are probably about two years out from him showing up uh, again on his brother's program on CNN because he will no longer <laughs> be a governor, and we can bring him out. And then about two weeks after that, then we'll start hearing the an older. A chastened yet older but wiser Mario Cuomo mulls a return to politics. Tries to work his way back into the good graces of the American people. Yeah, that is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good luck with that, Andrew. Yeah. Old buddy. And you know, the weird thing, it always reminds me, I'm always reminded of F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, him saying there are no second acts in American life. Um. Maybe he'd spent too much time in Paris because it seems to me that as far as politicians go, their entire career consists of second acts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. But I, I, there, have been, I, there have been some that have, have recovered and, and come back. I mean, look who's the president. Um, yeah, Mr. that's true. You know, I was I was I was I was laughing about this the other night when he when he gave his big speech about maybe we'll let you you know visit on Independence Day, uh, and, and him taking credit for the rollout of the vaccine. And I thought, boy, you know, plagiarists never change, do they? Yeah. I mean, that's what you remember. Joe Biden, his first run was in the eighties, I think, it, yes. late eighties. Yeah. And he got he got bounced because he plagiarized an entire speech. Uh, Then there was there's been a lot of plagiarism uh, claims on on, uh, things that he's done. And that to me was 
you know, that was just Joe being Joe. Well, you know, I think it's, you know, that's just Joe was the excuse for just forgiving everything and letting him run for the presidency. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, it was interesting this this week, they, Rasmussen did a, a poll and they found that 52% of Americans were concerned about Biden's lack of access to the press. Hmm. And 37% of them, which are probably all Republicans, were very concerned. But it also found that they're, you know, they're very concerned about his mental uh, acuity. And they think that this is a, this indicates uh, that he's not quite right for oppressor. Well, you know, think, that's, and who knows what his condition is. We, we can guess and, and you know, make and that's what we're based doing. on what we've seen. Um, but the fact that he has not had a sole press availability since his inauguration, and it's now well, March. Um, and, and that that and watching watching the campaign closely and going, you know, basically the same thing occurred there uh, with him calling the lid, you know, every, you know, most, most mornings and returning to the basement. I mean, the lack of transparency indicates that something isn't right. And that's, and having seen Joe in the past uh, and how he acts versus how he acts now, uh, it's not a, a big jump to say, whoa, he's not quite there anymore, is he? Lack of transparency breeds conspiracy theories. Yep, you're exactly right. And that's what's happening right now. And so until he can sit down or, or stand up or whatever, however in the hell he wants to do it, and go through uh, uh, a vetting, if you will, by the press, um, these these numbers are only going to grow. Yeah, and the White House doesn't do themselves... Well, you know, I say the White House doesn't do themselves any favors by not letting the guy come out except for very tightly scripted events. However, they they may be doing themselves the best favor they possibly can, because well, they it, it, it do may for be them, yeah yeah it may be obvious the second he shows up if something goes horribly wrong it, then it becomes obvious this guy can't be president. And, and that was that was a <laughs> that was an ind- indicated when he he did his little impromptu uh, International Day Day of the Women with the two female four star generals and he couldn't remember the name of the Secretary of Defense or the Pentagon or the Department of Defense. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that, that fellow... That, that guy who runs that place. fellow that's there. running the show over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, so, so those type things added on with this lack of transparency, hey, it's hard not to come up with the idea that Joe ain't quite there. Yeah, hey, look, let me ask you a question about something because um, it um, it really did kind of concern me today when when I saw it, but as you may or may not know, Tucker Carlson on his Fox News show had a little bit of a screed about you know increasing the number of women in the military and some of the readiness issues that uh, uh, at least he perceives as uh, being uh, dangerous to readiness by having so many women in the military. Now, I'm not even interested... Because, A, I didn't watch what Tucker said, so this is all secondhand. Um, He just argued that Biden is trying to feminize the military, uh, while China are just, um, you know, big manly men doing manly things in their military, uh, preparing to go to war with us. Which, by the way, um, I I also uh, believe. 
Um, so anyway, in what appears to be his uh, official account, Command Sergeant Major P.J. Ellis, and his avatar is him in his uniform, uh, wrote Tucker Carlson. You know who's a mockery? You. I'll take a female, a female pregnant, or I'll take a pregnant female to go win the nation's war over you. Furthermore, what do you know about winning wars, much less winning? Let's be clear. Women serving in the military, pregnant or not, will outwork you, period. Okay. Um, fine. Command Sergeant Major Ellis is entitled to his personal views. But um, that, was a little, that was a little harsh, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure I got a copy of DOD 1344.10 around here somewhere that says... Uh, when you're in uniform or in your official capacity, keep your mouth shut about politics. Yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true. And that is his official account. And that ain't right. And uh, he apparently disagrees because several people brought that up. And he's like, I'm, I'm perfectly free to do this. Ah, well, mm. I guess it's okay as long as you're mouthing the pieties that the command wants you to Yeah. Know. What about the spec four that down there that says basically something uh, like, well, you know, I don't think we should have this many women in the uh, uh, military because my experience, uh, they, they don't uh, they don't pull their weight as well. Now, I'm not you know, I'm just saying that as an example. What happens then? Because oh. you've just set an example, Sergeant Major, that says you're you're able to make political statements while in uniform on an official account. What are you going to do to him? Um, well, they'll court-martial him because that's mm. contrary to the command's policy. Yeah, exactly right. So you're right, Dale. That's uh, that's a big no-no. Yeah, I mean, I I uh, don't think I would have ever gotten away with that. But, of course, I was in a different world when I was in the military. Yeah, well, you know, these guys have got to prove that they're not freaking far-right terrorists. So that's a good way to do it, I guess. Yeah, and look, Obama spent eight years ensuring that he had a a, a senior command that was more or less uh, congenial to his policy goals, and so therefore we had—I uh, wouldn't call it a purge, but uh, certainly. Well, we did have a purge, yeah, and that's you're exactly right. And then we had eight years of, uh, uh, as they were called, the perfume princes coming forward. You know those that toe the ideological line, uh, whether it's for the for the best interest of the the soldier or not. Um, those are the guys who get promoted, and they promote people just like them. And pretty soon you push the war fighters out, and you got the perfume princes in charge. And then a war hits, and guess what? Yep. Well, you know, it, it, one of the 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 greatest services that George Marshall ever did for this country was grabbing obscure colonels and lieutenant colonels like uh, Dwight Eisenhower and promoting them while shuffling off a whole bunch of, you know, these post-World War I you know, paper pushers off to the side. And he did that all throughout 19, what, 38, 39, and 40, uh, and 41. Um, I guess I guess 39 through 41. So that whenever World War II actually did break out, we had a cadre of people that George Marshall knew were going to be the leaders of the next war. Mm -hmm. And um, well, one thing we can say is we can be sure that when 
you know, our military meets their next peer opponent and they get ground up, it'll be the most diverse military we've ever had. And won't that be wonderful? Yeah, well, you know, at the start of every war, there's a whole bunch of Lloyd and Friedendahls and Kasserine Passes that have to be. Yeah, there are. And that's because things like what happened under Obama happen all the time. Uh, when there's when there <clears throat> when there are is peace, uh, the war fighters aren't you know they're a little blunt. They make waves, yada yada yada. Plus, most of them won't toe the ideological line. So you you have this uh, same process take place. Okay, the the generals aides who were in a combat situation with their general but never fired a shot in anger move up. And they become generals and bring, you know, I, I've seen it. I've seen the whole thing. But the weird then, thing is, is that we have been at war for 20 years. Well, I understand, but not, not the type of war, you know. Yeah, not a pure it, conflict. It, well, not a pure, even in Vietnam did the same thing. Right after Vietnam, the same thing happened. And those that were war fighters who had gotten up to the rank of colonel stayed there because, you know, we really don't need those troglodytes. We need, we need. Uh, you know, a different officer. We need a different soldier to be the general. And and so then we went into some of this other stuff. And, and those were the first guys, if they hadn't already retired, that were kind of shuffled off when they found out that they weren't really war fighters. Yeah, it's amazing. The guys that you need never make it past colonel. And the yeah. Guys that you don't and, want. and those that have during a war find out that Retirement is a wonderful thing because the Army wants you to take it. Yeah, so it's just very strange to... It's really strange just to see the, the changes. You know, I, I, having so many students as Marines over the past... Uh, how long have I been teaching at my current college? Seven years, where I've been teaching largely Marines at, at the college level. And... The number of Marine students who were thrown out of the Marines, who had bronze stars with yeah. V devices, silver stars, but unfortunately had tattoos visible on their arms. Oh, my God. And they were just tossed out of the Marine Corps. Well, we can't have you, yeah. ta- the, the tattooed troglodyte flashing his silver star. Um, that's just, that's not the image we want to present. So, And that's right. These guys can't re-enlist. Yeah. It just never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, priorities are all screwed up. And and it's not going to get any better. And when when you have ideology driving uh how you uh people the military, uh, you you're looking for a big you're looking for a big problem down the road. Um I I, I think women have proven themselves in the military. Uh, I think they do a good job. Uh, but what, what I don't understand is why, you know, I, I'll never understand why it's necessary to push them into, into combat arms roles when there are so many other roles that they, they execute beautifully, uh, but physically, uh, are, are unable, uh, for the most part. And I know there are, I know there are monsters among the women who can do it, but for the most part, they can't do, uh, an everyday infantryman's job. The, the sheer, and so, the sheer physical demands. Yeah. 
um, I mean, are something that if, if you've never done it, you just don't, you just don't understand. And that's not to take away from a woman's grit and determination and all that stuff. I, I don't doubt them in the least in that regard. I'm talking about physical capabilities here. And um, I, the vast majority of women do not have the physical capability to do what is necessary uh, to uh, function well within an infantry unit, period. You know, they still have to carry the same 75 pounds in their pack that everybody else carries. They have to carry the same amount of ammunition, the same number of rations, the fucking mortar base plate for fuck's sake. Yep, and, the- and three rounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the radio, yeah. You yeah, still yeah. have to be able to carry it. And a 180-pound man is going to be able to carry that far better than a 120-pound woman. He's going to hurt like a sound bitch. Yeah, Yeah. the proportion of weight to to body size, to just sheer mass, uh, is so much higher for women than it is for men. And it, you know... And, and you're really limited in your ability, if you, even if you want to give her a break and say she can't carry that much. Okay, fine. But you can't, nobody nobody else can pick up that slack for her. I was going to say, X amount has to go to the field, which means every person has to carry their weight. Now, on the other hand, put her in a jet aircraft where she physically can take more Gs than a man, and she'll kick some ass. And has faster reflexes. Yes, and that and that has been proven. And a higher tolerance so, for pain. Yes, higher tolerance for pain, can take more Gs, has better reflexes. Hey, she's made, but but the hydraulics and mechanics, the, the, the fly-by-wire, all that helps her uh, be a, a huge uh, asset to that unit. She's not a huge asset to an infantry unit. Yeah, in fact, I suspect that on average, women would be better fighter pilots than men. I would think at... Uh, I would think, given given those physical attributes, I would think that's probably true. I mean, when you can turn inside your opponent's uh, uh, turn, uh, you're probably going to win the dogfight. If your opponent can pull seven and you can pull 7.2, you win. That's right. And if he tries to pull 7.2, he goes in the ocean or wherever. Yeah, well. Because he's going to black out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or at the very least, he's just going to go straight and level for a little bit until he until uh, yeah. he wakes back up. And you know, uh, again, but you you can't make those kind of distinctions. Either you have to let them into every field, and that and that's the point. That's what I don't understand. But but it but J- Dale, it is it is exactly the same as as with all this this nonsense about well, you know, gender is just a construct. You can be anything you want. Um, you know, that's that's foolishness. It's stupidity. And it keeps creeping into more and more stuff. I mean, it's just dumb. Hey, I, I ran across this this week. This absolutely blew me away. So there's a final exam required course. or a, a, There's a required course for, for uh, uh, UPenn nursing that has a final exam that has a question on it that, that says this. You know, you... You, you have got to, uh, just to see this will blow your mind. When a nurse goes in a room, what are the three, three points that she's supposed to cover? And she has to, she, he or she has to uh, uh, do these exactly. Every, everything is exact. If they miss one thing, they lose five points. 
So one is wash his hands using correct technique. Yeehaw. Two is use his gloves when appropriate. Okay. Three, you'll love this. Introduce self by stating full name, preferred pronouns, and title. Check for patient identification. Ask for full name, date of birth, preferred pronouns, and how the patient wants to be addressed. And check for allergies. If you miss any of that, you miss the question. Preferred pronouns. Now, that's how far this has trickled into this. This nonsense has trickled in. Can you imagine laying in the emergency room with half your leg gone and she comes in and says, and how would you like, what are your preferred pronouns? And throw her ass out of the shower. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I got other problems at the moment. Yeah. I mean, that is on an actual nursing test now. Well, look, we're also seeing it in the corporate world where corporations are asking that on your email signature, you put your preferred pronouns in and uh, throw in a link to this uh, Why Pronouns Are Important article. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> I was reading something this week. Oh, oh, uh, Arthur Chernikov said they wanted to know, he, he was talking about trans-ethnic, and he said, you know, uh, he, he said it remains permissible to ridicule and castigate those revealed as having adopted racial or ethnic identity different than the biological genetic ethnicity they were born with. You know, we can think of uh, Rachel Dozell and old Talcum X and that type of thing. But his question at the end is right. If both gender and race are social constructs and they're devoid of any underlying objective reality, shoot, why not ethnicity too? I mean, why can't you feel like you were be you have been born in the wrong part of the raw world in the wrong skin? Or the wrong culture or the wrong anything else. Yeah. Identify. Yeah. Which yeah. is basically an attack on truth. There is no truth. It's well, whatever you decide. You know, it is. There's there's your truth, Bruce. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the new one. Yeah, your truth. Well, Oprah asked uh, uh, Marco, what's your truth in this? Which means give us your side of the story. Yeah, it's not no more truth than anything. You know, the truth is the truth. Some this might, is your version. You know, it's it, the, the classic cop out. Some might disagree, but this is my truth. Yeah, which means it's most of the time it's a big fat lie. Which also means that it is immune from criticism or from um, debate. Which is the whole point. Yes, that that's the whole point. Well, you may believe that, and 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 you know the facts. Uh, as they have been portrayed, may say that, but that's not my truth. Oh. That's, it's convenient to have your own truth because it, <laughs> it insulates you from criticism. It's e even more convenient when you think everyone should believe it. By the way, because... one of our listeners says in chat, uh, he saw the article you were talking about about the nurse, and apparently misdiagnosing the issue was less of a deduction than the pronoun. The, the whole thyroid exam was <laughs> less of a deduction. <laughs> they have a thyroid exam in there. You just tell you, you get, you're worse off missing the pronouns than, you know, than flunking the whole thyroid portion. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, that's just the direction we're headed in. And look, as far as I can tell, um, half the country is perfectly okay with it. Seems to be, yeah. And, you know, I, this week earlier, Werner Herzog, um, the director, sometimes actor, um, sometimes documentarian, 
um, said, Americans today are learning what Germans learned many years ago. One third of their of your fellow citizens will happily kill you for their political beliefs, uh, and one third will stand by and watch it happen. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. I, I don't know if you saw the article this week about from from uh, Matt Tabby entitled "The Sovietization of the American Press." He no, made, he made a yeah he made a good case. He 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 talked about. You remember, well, of course you remember. You remember when uh, uh, Khashoggi, uh, Jamal Khashoggi was killed by the Saudis? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't hard to figure out who did it. <laughs> this, this, wasn't, this wasn't any, any big This, is, this is not an Ellery Queen mystery. Let's put it that right, way. Right, right, right. So how did, how did the press handle it then? Well, they, you know, they said in an... The uh, the New York Times said in an extraordinary statement, Trump stands with the Saudis despite Khashoggi killing. You know, and they said it, it was a stark distil distillation of the Trump worldview, remorselessly transactional, heedless of the facts, determined to put American interests first, and founded on a theory of moral equivalence. And uh, so, when Biden did the same thing, uh, what did the po Washington Post say? That, well, they wrote it off. Biden won't penalize Saudi Crown Prince over Khashoggi, Khashoggi's killing, fearing relations breach. You know, uh, it, there was a cost there, and and gee whiz, you know, oh oh oh, Joe has got it figured out. He says our relationship with is with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and the Post said, and that is good. Now that's that's what he was talking about. Was, you know, that's where the press has gone. It, Reality, he said reality in Soviet news was 100% binary. You know, pe people were either heroes or villains. Now tell me, reading our press, that you don't see that now. You know, he's, and he also pointed out that um, since anything good was all good, politicians were not described as people but but all at all but paragons of limitless virtue so 95 percent of the issues of, of of pravda were just names of party leaders surrounded by words like glittering full-hearted wise mighty courageous in complete moral political union with the people and then he points out some of the headlines the u.s press lately has been putting out biden stimulus showers money on americans sharply cutting poverty champion of the middle class comes to the aid of the poor Biden's historic victory for America. I think he's got a case. Well, I, I think he does. And it's been a case that we've been making for, for years here. Yes. Which is that we do not have a news media in this country. No, we don't. We don't. We have propagandists. I mean, this is, yeah, this is phenomenal. though. And look, this is what Glenn Reynolds was saying many years ago. Uh, whenever he came up with the line, the media are just Democratic operatives with bylines. And it's pretty true. I mean, there are those that, that you know, as, as in anything, there are those that uh, uh, buck the trend. But that it seems like, you know, there are guys that come into it, become somewhat well-known, and then seem to go full tilt with them. Like, and I'm thinking particularly of Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper was was uh, heralded as the guy who shot straight. You know, he... Uh, he he went after everybody. He wasn't afraid of anybody. He 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 told it like it was. Well, he's not like that at all anymore. If he ever was, 
he's he's fully uh, you know he's a he's been uh, the Borg has gotten him, and, and you see it more and more and more. Well, you know the interesting thing about um, Andrew Cuomo is how he has gone from basically hero to villain in the space of just a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, he's just, you know, <laughs> he's just the the uh, latest right Trotskyite bandit, you know? Yeah, so now all of a sudden he, you know, it, it, it's, it, speaking of the Soviet analogy, um, there's the, the famous <laughs> picture of uh, Joseph Stalin uh, who is walking along with, I, I want to say Leon Trotsky, but I know that that's not correct. And that picture was republished in the Soviet newspaper, and they just airbrushed out the person who was yeah he was walking gone. The, he was just gone. He just didn't appear on the picture. And the same thing, the same thing has happened in communist China. Uh, uh, you know, the, these people virtually disappear, uh, and they're taken out. Of, you know, they're taken out of photos. They're taken out of books. They're taken out of uh, you name it. And it was I mean, only it was only just in July when the New York Times had headlines like Andrew Cuomo ascends to the mountaintop with his COVID nineteen poster. <laughs> See, he's one of those uh, he's one of those all good because he's one of our politicians. Yeah, yeah. No glittering, full-hearted, or wise and mighty and courageous in there. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it is, when tabulated out, I went, oh, my God, he's he's definitely, he's got it. Yeah, well, now the news is, well, a bit different. Yeah, it's propaganda. Now it's, you know, years, it's of, mis, years of mismanagement all of a sudden. Yeah, now it's, now it's obviously propaganda. Before you could go, hey, now it's obviously propaganda. Yeah, it's it's, and you know I keep thinking, if somebody came out with a real news source, a real unbiased news source that just told us the facts as they were, um, I used to think people would be hungry for that. I'm not entirely sure that that's true anymore. I think people are perfectly happy to be told things that just reinforce whatever their oh absolutely um, predispositions I'm happen to be. I'm kind of like you, though. I kind of like to see our our news media do exactly what the the Brits do, and that is declare their bias. They won't do that because they actually believe they're unbiased. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of <laughs> speaking of the British press, because uh, you mentioned the the uh, interview, the Meghan Markle mm. Prince Harry interview, uh, Piers uh, Morgan. Uh, basically just walked off the set of Good Morning Britain on ITV because he had been criticized by just saying Meghan Markle is basically lying. Uh, this never happened. And she's just uh, she's just manipulative, cynically manipulative. And mm -hmm. so many people complained that now the British Broadcasting uh, Authority, Ofcom, is now investigating him. Mm -hmm. Um, a violation of journalistic standards. So yeah, whatever they may those, whatever those are. Yeah, they may declare their biases, <laughs> but there's always Ofcom standing by the side watching. Yeah. At least we don't have an Ofcom in this country. 
Uh, although I suppose if we had, well, it, it couldn't make it, our news any worse, could it? Hey, man, it's it's legislative season is young. <laughs> yeah, and boy, the Democrats are just not stopping. No. They're going to push all their little pet programs and make the, you know, uh, try and push them through. What I what I couldn't get uh, uh, around was how 10 Republicans in the House voted for this H.R. 1. Yeah, well, let's see if 10 uh, Republicans in the Senate do it. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I don't think that'll happen. You know, I look at a lot of these and I don't think, you know, since they're not going through their but not budgets and going through reconciliation and stuff i don't see a whole lot of uh, what the democrats are putting forward um uh, having a chance in the senate uh because they always have you know five or six amendments that that are awful which is why they tried to cram everything into this uh into this uh covid 19 deal i mean they they basically paid off the union pension funds uh, that had a lot to do with COVID. Um, they also put a little amendment in there that says to the states, hey, if you take this money, you can't do any tax cuts for a year or two, something like that. Uh, in other words, you know, the states are not in bad shape money-wise. So this was put in to prevent them from doing tax cuts. I mean, this this, this is the type of crap that gets thrown into a bill that was supposedly there to help Americans uh, weather this stupid pandemic. Yeah, but and look, this all, is the all, people the who, all the people who get $1,400 checks are not even going to pay attention to the fact that 91% of this bill was basically government welfare. I mean, there's no other way to, yeah. there's, there's no other way to, um, to, to characterize it. It was basically welfare for either state and local governments, welfare for the federal government, for their workers, um, and then whatever, you know, favored political allies managed to uh, get their hand in the till at all. And that's all it was. All of this $1,400, that was 9% of this whole bill. It was yeah. really an omnibus spending bill. Yes, that's exactly what it was. With money that we haven't a clue where it's going to come from. Well, we do have a clue. Yeah, we're going to borrow it. And the yeah. the the national debt is going to go to $30 trillion. Which is more than our GDP. Yeah, well, who cares? <laughs> Apparently no, I, no one. I, I, no one. And, in fact, I saw somebody writing a story this week. You know, we've been told about how horrible the deficit is. We were told it was going to be a disaster when it was $5 trillion and 15 and 20 and Now they're just telling us it's going to be a disaster when it's $30 trillion. These people are always telling us about a disaster that never comes. And, look, up to now. Sounds like. <laughs> that's true. And yeah. because it's, but the argument is because it's never happened in the past, it will never happen in the future. Yeah. Sounds like the environmental argument to me. Yeah, well, it's it. I I don't um, see the the trouble as we've discussed before with monetary crises is that everything looks normal right up until the minute <laughs> that it doesn't. Yeah, kind of like a head-on collision. Yeah, everything is fine. You know, it's like President Kennedy's, Until boom. It's like President Kennedy's visit to Dallas. Well, you can't say the people of Dallas aren't happy with you today, Mr. President. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Yeah.
That, by the way, was literally the last words that John F. Kennedy heard before he was shot. Mm. John Connolly's wife turned around to him and said, you can't say the people of Dallas aren't being good to you today, Mr. President. And she was right. He couldn't say anything. And she was right, right <laughs> up until that point. Yeah, she was right afterwards. And to be fair, John F. Kennedy never <laughs> did say that. Uh, and, and that's the way that these monetary policy things work. Everything looks just fine until you're paying $4 billion for a loaf of bread. Then all of a sudden you have a problem. It's too late to fix now. And I, I guess we're just going to keep pushing and pushing until the whole system collapses. I guess. So I hey, guess it's a good thing I own real estate. Yeah. Speaking of systems collapsing, how about that border? <clears throat> <laughs> I uh, Look, I read a good if article. If today. you're showing up in a bunch of brand new T-shirts that say "Biden let us in," yeah, yeah, I'm going to assume this is not a spontaneous uh, <laughs> yeah, demonstration. There's a, there's a great article over at PJ Media by by what who the hell was it? I can't remember her name. Stacy Lennox. And what she does is she goes, she goes and talks to a guy named Jason Jones, who's a retired captain of the Texas Department of Public Safety's Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division. And he lays it out. He lays it out really, really well. And he's talking basically about the fact that the, the entire 2,000 miles of the U.S.-Mexico border are controlled by the cartels. And I, I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody. Okay. But he said it's, it's, gotten way past these are druggies you know um his point was they're disciplined he said they're militarized and he said they're transnational organizations and in fact he said uh one of the cartels uh the cds cartel is in 54 nations now the other one cart what is it carte jalisco uh, jalisco is in over 48 countries so these are big time operations you know, and they have. Here was a, here was something that was very interesting to me. They have strong links to China, because what they do is they procure the raw materials uh, that that uh, are necessary to to manufacture crystal meth and fentanyl uh, from China. And uh, in fact, he said he said one cartel has hired chemists to find a formulation of fentanyl that that has precursors readily available in Mexico to diversify their slot supply chain. Meaning, basically, they get everything from China right now. Uh, secondly, human trafficking, traffic, he said, agents have discovered a new wristband system they now have. And there are marks on a band that include a symbol that identifies the cartel. And, and it also uh, has, has another symbol on there that says whether the migrants paid the, the, the whole fee or he owes. Now, obviously, anyone that owes has a problem. But what happens is with that with that wristband and symbolism, those that pass them along uh, know exactly uh, what those those marks mean. And they have all the ID that these these folks come through with. Uh, they, they take their identification from them. They take the migrant's cell phone number and his destination. And so they basically they put them into debt slavery is what happens. And, and when you're under that sort of pressure from a cartel, uh, gee, if you get a little pressure to break the law and do things for them, you might submit. And that's the whole point. He said that debt bondage is, 
is rife within this this movement. And he said there, are, you also have to note there are thousands of cartel operators throughout the United States that are coordinating with the the uh, cartels to make sure that they know where these people are. So you know, this is what we have opened the floodgates to. It's, it, I mean, it's amazing. The fix, this guy says, the fix is to designate the, or one of the fixes is to designate the cartels as foreign terrorist organizations where, where you can bring, you know, Department of Defense and Intelligence Agency resources and all that st stuff to fight them. But, okay, uh, we should have been doing that a long time ago. And uh, I, I think uh, the other thing is clear, um, by this administration, these bozos don't have a clue. In, in 2018, the Federalist Ben Dominich warned of, a, a, you know, of the threat of a failed state to our South after the cartels murdered 113 candidates for political office and their staff members. I mean, my God, who's in charge? There? And yet Congress looks at that and does nothing. Mm. Well, That's what we got on our border right now. Yeah, look, first of all, these cartels were empowered in much the same way that the mafia was empowered in the 1920s via Prohibition yep. by this war on drugs that, on the government side, we just seem incapable of declaring victory or just surrendering and finishing it and being done with it. Apparently that can't be done. Uh, who was it uh, today? That was saying, you know, if we legalize marijuana, it puts our children's lives at risk. I got, I got bad news for you. The the war on drugs has put the children's lives at risk. And, Much more risk. And it has created these cartels. And then we double down by just deciding, in the case of the Biden administration, well, we're just not going to enforce border law. We're just not. And anybody who can make it in, we'll go back to catch and release assuming we do catch them, um, and without the border being policed, we're basically just inviting an entire generation of Central Americans uh, to be put into debt slavery to drug dealers who, by the way, if there is a dispute over what is owed, it's not like you can treaty trot into a local courtroom and fix it. Um, there's only one way to uh, settle those debts, or to settle those disputes, and that's with violence. Yep. Okay. Well, then fine. I guess that's what it's going to be like now. We're just going to turn over all of these, you know, all of these plucky immigrants who are coming here for a better life, and we're basically just going to essentially abandon them to predators and pat ourselves on the back for being so compassionate while we do it. Yeah. Also um, found out uh, in that article that they that uh, for the last nine or ten months, um, what they call special interest aliens have been congregating to the south. Uh, those are uh, from China and Africa uh, for the last nine or ten months. And as soon as Biden came in, they started making their way north. So now we're going to have that little fun stuff going on as well. So yeah, this is this is a border crisis that didn't have to happen. Uh, it was uh, I won't say it was under control, but it would seem to be tamped down pretty well 
until the Biden administration came in and said, yep, we're open again. And boy, did they show up. And you can look, you can see it at the border. I mean, newspapers are still not yet calling it a crisis at the border. <laughs> yeah, I know. But they, I know they're not. <clears throat> but they are noticing that things at the border are not going well. And well, they're so, noticing, even though they don't want to say kids in cages, they are noticing that the number of unaccompanied minors has tripled. Yes. And there's some members of Congress from North Carolina that are pressing uh, the, the Biden administration for answers on the on the COVID positive migrants because they're getting ready to transfer them into North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, if you fly into the United States, you're going to need to show some proof of COVID vaccination before we let you in. Are we doing yeah. that for all these people who are coming through at the border? Of course not. Heavens no. In fact, they don't even check them. They, when they did check them in, the, in one group, they found 108 positive. And when asked what happened, they said, well, they put them on buses. And they were gone. Yep. Oh. And so we're just so this so so we have a super spreader event at the border and and the the press is too afraid uh, to go down and and check it out uh, and call it what it is. Where's AOC crying at the gates now? Yeah, when the number of unaccompanied minors has tripled. Yeah, they're still in custody, but see, yeah, not... but we don't call them cages anymore, so she doesn't yeah. have to go down there. Yeah, they're no longer cages; they're or concentration camps. Yeah, yeah, they're they're now temporary facilities. Yes. I believe it was the New York Times or the Washington Post uh, last week that talked about a, a tent city. Of, oh, no, no. They call them soft-sided structures. Oh, soft-sided structures <laughs> that they're using to house these people. Yeah, soft-sided structures. That's... Hmm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Joe Biden's primary concern appears to be that um, Ron DeSantis isn't being strict enough about COVID. Yes. Okay. Good, good to know where the real problem is. Amazing. Well, I'm just glad to know that we may be, maybe, if Joe's feeling good that day, be able to barbecue with a small number of our family on the 4th of July. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people didn't take that well. Joe Biden coming out and saying, well, you know, on 4th of July, maybe you can get together with your family. <laughs> maybe. Maybe? I like <laughs> You know, Thomas Massey said, if you're waiting for permission from the chief executive to celebrate Independence Day with your family, you clearly don't grasp the concept of independence. Yeah, well, also, <laughs> also, if you're waiting for the chief executive to give you permission to celebrate Independence Day, maybe it's not a holiday that we should observe anymore. Boy, no kidding. Because there seems to be no precious little of it. But oh. uh, there's an increasing number of people who are perfectly happy to be told what to do, what they may and may not do, what the government will allow and won't allow. In fact, yes. they get positively upset at states like Texas that simply say, look, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. We're not going to tell you what to do anymore. You know what's best. Go, go, go live your best life. Oh, now all of a sudden that's putting us all in danger. Okay. That's uh, that that childlike faith in government's wisdom and benevolence is incomprehensible to me. It is to me, too. And especially after this COVID thing. I mean, if you haven't figured out, it, 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 even if you didn't really know before, if you haven't figured out watching this damn 
uh, clown dance that's going on with the, the experts in COVID, um, you're not paying attention. Uh, that idiot Fauci has said the exact opposite of something he said last week 15 times. Uh, they have no clue. They are not experts, and they have no right whatsoever to tell you that you can't uh, you can can't do some of the things they've tried to tell you you can do. Well, look, Fauci. This, I mean, it's just Fauci this week just came right out and said it. Look, for a lot of this stuff, there's no settled science on what you're supposed to do, so we're just making judgment calls. They're making it up as they go. That's I mean, basically just, what he what, said. What? Yeah. What we're, sounds good this week? Well, we're making judgment calls. Okay. Yeah, let's go overboard and tell them to wear two masks because, you know, that sounds good, right? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Mitt Romney's doing it. Oh, I have no doubt. Uh, he no, is. A, I mean, why there is a picture of Mitt Romney wearing two masks in the Senate. Mitt Romney's a fool. My, 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 our friend, Dan McLaughlin, over at uh, National Review caught something that was kind of funny, I thought, this week. Um, apparently... People are going to D.C. and getting COVID shots that don't live in D.C. So D.C. has decided that, well, let me let me the, the head of D.C. Health says one of the ways we have to ensure that we're not vaccinating residents from other jurisdictions who don't actually have an essential job in the District of Columbia is to ask for some type of proof uh, for that. And McLaughlin says, identification to prove people are in the right jurisdiction. Funny how that works when a liberal government is trying to control something that it actually cares about. <laughs> you know, which is another thing that, by the way, really <clears throat> irritates me. This whole idea that every attempt to ensure the, uh, the, the sanctity of the voting rolls and to ensure that uh, people who are voting who are supposed to be voting and that people who are doing skullduggery uh, cannot vote in this election or that election. You can't double vote. You can't vote outside your district. All the other things, every measure to make that happen is touted as a return to Jim Crow racism. That's right. That, in fact, that's exactly what uh, McLaughlin said. He said, this comes just as congressional Democrats are trying to abolish state voter identification requirements for in-person and absentee voting and progressives are calling it racist voter suppression to ask voters to cast ballots in their own precinct. Yeah, I just, so, but if, if you need a COVID shot, you better be able to identify yourself. You better show up with some ID, big boy. You want to fly on an aircraft, you better have an ID with you. Or buy liquor. But uh, to prove that you're uh, authorized to vote, no ID. And look, th this, this is not a coincidence. Uh, whatever their stated uh, goals are, and you know, calling it, you know, a return to Jim Crow racism and all of that stuff. That is a smokescreen for let's let people vote who we believe will vote Democrat. Usually yep. people who shouldn't be voting. Because, you know, you do know that most of these immigrants from Central America uh, are going to, I mean, they've been raised in socialist countries. All that stuff sounds perfectly normal to them. Yes, exactly right. <clears throat> yes, indeed. And so the Democrats know where their votes are coming from. And how can you stay in power if you don't ensure that you get an electorate that you want? Well, you know, that and, uh, gee, let's count the illegals in our uh, census so we can uh, have more Democrats in Congress. Yeah, well, 
Um, it, it, it's all a matter of political power. There's there's no there's no principle involved. And look, the Republicans yeah. are no more principled than the Democrats. Um, you know, I I come from the Reagan Republican era, where the concern was about the government spending too much money, uh, getting too involved in our lives, trying to do too much that they are largely incapable of doing. Um, and they've proven that over the years. Yeah, and but that's not what the GOP has become. The GOP has no. become the party of social conservatism. And spending? Who cares about spending? The people want us to spend money. we got to do that. So let's concentrate on basically social issues. And that's well, yeah, and they, and they had a you know they had a president uh, that was rolling back regulations and and getting things uh, out of business's hair. And did they support him? No, uh, he sent out mean tweets, so they couldn't do that. Um, and look what we have. Yeah, well, you know, given a hey, choice, by the way, between, given a choice between Democrats and fake Democrats. The public is going to vote for real ones every time. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, you know, we, we were panning journalism a little earlier. I, I, I thought one of the, the, the more uh, incredible instances of, <clears throat> air quotes, journalism this week was a story by the New York Times on Senator Josh Hawley, where they went back in the Wayback Machine and found his high school prom date to ask her what she thought of Josh. And his middle school principal. <laughs> Good God. Yes. <laughs> God. I mean, this. And you expect to get truth from the media. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, you know, this is this is the world we live in now. Apparently, it's, it's all just about narratives and stories. And, you know, remember when the Internet was supposed to make us all so much wiser and give us <laughs> access to the sum total of human knowledge? Turns out we don't want any of that. What we want to do is click on clickbait headlines. Yes. And put up pictures of cats. And look, it, uh, apparently it works. You'd be surprised to know how much you could save on car insurance with these three simple tricks. Okay. <laughs> uh, apparently, a step. By the way, apparently, a study uh, on how effective masks have been was done, and and uh, the CDC claims that between March first and December thirty first of twenty twenty, the mask mandates, which were executed in the vast majority of the United States counties, stopped COVID case growth rates by one half of one percent after 20 days and by less than 2% after 100 days. But science, Fauci, well, government, listen. Look, on that, I mean, just if it is an airborne disease, I'm going to assume, just in common sense, I don't need to have science or a study to back me up on this, that wearing a mask offers some degree of protection. 2%. Yeah, two percent. Fine. Then that's that's two percent more than I would have had without a mask. No, that's not the way masks were presented. And you know it. Yeah, I know. It was if you don't wear a mask, you're going to uh, you're going to die. Kill people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or die. One of the two. 
And look, that's, that's the not people, the way they were. And that's the way people but, have been. That's the way people back. have been treated. By the way, you're not wearing a mask. Yeah. People will freaking force you out of public spaces for not wearing but a this mask. This is the point here is again to point out how the experts, you know, how those that are supposed to know all this and and come on and tell you like they know all this, didn't know shit. We would be far better served by an expert class that had less arrogance and more appreciation of their human fallibility and their simple lack of knowledge about how this works. One of the reasons Yeah, there's why, nothing wrong with saying I don't know sometimes, you know. Yeah, and that's one of the <clears> things <throat> that that Fauci uh, until yesterday could never do. All that's of right. his pronouncements were prescriptive and unquestionable. And we were told, listen to Dr. Fauci, he's telling us the truth. Mm. Well, he was telling us his truth. Yeah. What Dr. Fauci <laughs> was telling us was basically what he felt it was best for us to know at the time. And yeah, he's our, he's our dad. Yeah. And people like Tom Nichols wonder, why do Amer- Americans have a deep character flaw? Where does this character flaw come from that causes them to discount experts? Well, I tell you what, maybe part of it is the nature of the experts and how they wield their expertise. Well, that and the fact that Americans are born with an internal bullshit meter. <laughs> That's a tendency to go off a lot. And maybe if the experts had actually accomplished something since putting men on the moon, um, we, we might have a better, uh, a better appreciation of them. But yeah. in, in field after field, since the 1960s, um, expertise doesn't seem to have been doing all that great of a job. No, it had. You know, all of those experts that uh, Jack Kennedy and LBJ hired to run the war in Vietnam, the men that David Halberstam called the best and the brightest, failed miserably. And experts, certainly in public policy, seem to have failed miserably at just about everything they've put their hand to in the past half century. And that's basically one of the reasons that we talk about limited government, because when government gets too big and overreaches and gets into areas where it has no expertise or is just simply not structured in the way that it can do good uh, in in any any sense, um, that's when you need to get, you know, that's, that's the argument against. I mean, look at the Department of Education. What is the Department of Education and what has it done? other than add a bureaucracy. It hasn't done crap if you look at the damn scores of the, the kids uh, in school since that, that agency has been in, in uh, existence. Yet every year it gets refunded and, and, and trundles on. Uh, the government isn't and shouldn't be, or the federal government shouldn't be in the education business. Period. But you know, and it shouldn't be dictating what goes on down in in states where states actually know better than the federal government what is needed in their state. But it even goes beyond that. It, it's not even that the government is poorly structured to employ its expertise. It's that the government often pretends expertise in areas it doesn't have. Yes. In, well, no. Even if even no matter how, what your level of expertise, there are certain areas that no level of expertise allows you to adequately come up with a policy prescription that works. 
Um, you know, it, it's like the economy. Uh, the big conceit of the Soviet Union was that Stalin could implement the five-year plan and that we would know exactly what we would need to produce five years from now. You don't. There's no amount of expertise that you can have, no level of education that can match the individual decisions being made in a free market by millions and millions of consumers making individual purchasing and selling decisions. That expertise is impossible to obtain. And it doesn't matter how many economics degrees you have from Harvard or Yale, you can't write a five-year plan that's worth anything more than the paper it's written on. And government loves to pretend that they have all of this expertise in economics. And look, even in military affairs, um, no matter how good a soldier you are, no matter how well you're trained, you may just come up against an enemy that has some innate advantage either in terrain or in supply lines or in personnel that it doesn't matter how expert you are. You simply can't win. Look, Vietnam, I would argue, was a war that we were never going to win. And that was because it was <clears throat> directed from above, where it was, whereas it was decentralized uh, until the NVA came crashing through, you know, the border uh, in '73. But it was basically a decentralized war, <clears throat> and 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 so you had units working almost independently uh, with the commanders who adapted uh, their their tactics to whoever and where whoever they were facing and wherever the you know whatever the terrain dictated. Uh, we were constrained uh, by, you know, rules of engagement. Uh, <clears throat> we, we had, well, we had all kinds of stuff going on there that basically was dictated from on high. Um, and so, you know, one of the reasons, and so we didn't do well. On the other hand, when you look at World War II, one of the reasons we did so well is because it was so vast and so big that we did have unit uh, uh, unit commanders that were able to, uh, uh, you know, make decisions at uh, on their level, at the ground level, take initiative and do things uh, where you didn't have uh, the president sitting in his uh, freaking uh, war room saying, bomb that outhouse. Lyndon Johnson personally picking bombing targets. Yeah, yeah, that's absurd. Yeah, well. But yeah, 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 that's the, yeah, yeah, that's the, the, you know, that's the thing. This childlike faith in government never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, and I think, I think some of that's wearing off. I mean, if this pandemic hasn't worn it off for some people, I don't know what will. I mean, just nothing will. Uh, This has been, um, you have seen, you've gotten to see the, the, the rise of the little fascists. You've gotten to see uh, the fact that uh, they they have no concern whatsoever for you, or your business, or the fact that you can't put uh, food on the table. Uh, they're going to exercise their power, and they're going to, and then they're going to, then they're going to use the police uh, to enforce it. I mean, it's just it was the quickest reversion to power uh, politics that I've ever seen. It's incredible. And everybody let them get away with it. Yeah. Uh, there's certainly, there's complaining here and there, but largely we have complied. Well, I think at this point, um, I think at this point, people can s- literally can see the, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. And so uh, they're not, 
they're not at the point that they want to push it. Uh, shut it down again, and we'll see. But Although at this again, point, I think. You know, I always go back to my, my estimate of the American character. We are a people who don't want trouble. No. No, and your, your Winston Churchill quote was perfect last week. Yeah, we, we just want to be left alone, and we just want to get on with things as best we can, because if we ever get pissed off enough to do something about it, then we really have to do something extraordinary, and nobody wants to have to do that until we're forced to do it. So, yeah, I think it's given people in government, especially the Democrats now that they're running Washington, D.C., this idea that they have some sort of mandate to do anything that they want to do. And why shouldn't they? They've gotten away with it so far. It remains to be seen whether the American people at some point, like the Romanians in 1989, just say, no, that's enough. We're done. We're yep. done. We're done. And yeah, I, well, we'll see. You know, and I, I use the Ceausescu analogy all the time. He ran that place like it was his own personal dog kennel for 40 years, right up until the point that people said. The dog said no. No. <laughs> and 48 hours later, he was dead. Yep, and hanging from something. I don't know. No, they, they shot him. By the way, but, by the way, since it's, we're, you know, pretty kind of nearing the end of it, have you seen on Netflix – uh, the Netflix original film, The Death of Stalin. No, I'm watching Peaky Blinders right now. Um, it's a, <laughs> I have not. <clears throat> it's a movie with Steve Buscemi as Nikita Khrushchev. Um, and, well, really just an all-star cast as all of the Soviet luminaries of the time. And, of course, it starts off with uh, The Death of Stalin and ultimately the execution of Beria and Nikita Khrushchev taking over as the premier of the Soviet Union. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it because it is a hilariously dark comedy. Mm. And I'll have to, and since we all know the history, we all know that Lavrenti Beria was executed. And I, I, I have to say my favorite quote from that movie is after they shot Lavrenti Beria in the back of the head and they're yelling at him, one of them yells out, Go back to Georgia, dead boy. <laughs> which may be which may be one of the best movie lines I've ever heard. <laughs> Go back to Georgia, dead boy. <laughs> oh well Bruce, look, have a great week. Always a pleasure right. talking to you. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, the 12th of March, 2020. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope you'll be back again listening next week. On behalf of Bruce McClain, this is Dale Franks saying have a great week. Talk to you next week. So long. So long.